When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. February 14th, an innumerable amount of chocolate, flowers, and cards will be spent among lovers all over the Western world. Our current customs today reflect little of what the ancient feast meant to Christians of the early Roman Empire. Not much is known about the historical Saint Valentine, and as usual, folklore fills in where facts are few. The saint was said to perform weddings for Christians, which was outlawed at the time, and was later martyred for his faith after attempting to convert the Emperor Claudius II. Don't worry your broken heart, though. If you wish to make a personal supplication to the saint for his intercession in your love life, you can still visit the Basilica of Santa Maria in Cosmodin, Rome, where his skull is still exhibited adorned with a crown of flowers. Through the ages since Valentine's ascension into sainthood, tales have arisen to fill the hearts and the minds of the simple folk throughout history. In Norfolk, a man named Jack is said to leave sweets at your back door for children. In Slovenia, St. Valentine is seen as the bringer of spring and also said to give good health and watches over pilgrims to holy sites. The connection of love, the joy of giving, the desire of pleasing your partner often brings about the best in many of us. It is also, I am sure, able to bring out ostentation displays of love. My listeners could tell a few stories about the cycle of appeasement we go through each year for those we care about. But let me ask you this. Have you ever loved someone so much that you brought them back from the dead? You're listening to Devilry, and I'm Matthew William Motson. In the small town of Wigro, Poland, hidden away in the Church of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary and Saints Peter and Paul. There rests on the wall in the vestibule a shattered mirror around which are etched strange runes. Legend says that it could foretell the future and in the right hands could even raise a specter of the dead and was shattered by none other than Napoleon Bonaparte on his march to Russia The mirror foretold his inevitable defeat at the hands of the Russians and eventually the dissolution of his empire. In a fit of rage, Napoleon struck the mirror, creating the cracks you can still view in it to this day. And in defiance of fate, he marched on anyway. The mirror's original owner, however, was one Pan Trudowski, 
a known necromancer and wizard whose history is as strange as the mirror itself. Some think he is the Polish version of John Dee who traveled in the area at those times. Others say he was a nobleman of Nuremberg who sold his soul to the devil for secret knowledge. Either way it happened, he soon became famous after weaseling his way into the court of the greatest Polish king that ever lived, Sigismund Augustus II. Sigismund II came from the Jagiellonian dynasty of the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth, which had a long history of dealing with wizardry, going back to its founder, King Jagiello, the likely recipient of the mysterious prayer book of King Ledislius, a manuscript that fused Christian prayer practice with Middle Age crystal magic, which many scholars think was written by Henry of Bohemia, yet another sorcerer of ill repute. Sigismund is renowned today as the king who saw Poland through its golden era. His father had worked to secure the borders of the empire and the son now worked to ensure its internal growth. Taking his cue from his father, Sigismund also neglected to pursue the religious wars like that of the other nations around him, and offered a safe haven to both Jew and Gentile, Catholic and Lutheran, saying famously that he was not the leader of their conscience. He focused on curtailing the power of the nobility and advancing the legislature, Perhaps his greatest achievement came later in life, with the permanent union of Poland and Lithuania into the Republic of Two Nations. While Sigismund was one of the greatest statesmen of his time, his personal life always seemed to be in turmoil and married a total of three times throughout his life. When he was just 25, his first wife died, poisoned some say, by his wicked Italian mother. Sigismund may not have been as distraught as one might think. It was well known among his courtiers that shortly before the death of his wife, Sigismund had begun a passionate love affair with the daughter of a Lithuanian noble by the name of Barbara Radziwill. All contemporary accounts of Barbara acknowledge her as a great beauty. She was tall, with straight white teeth, a rarity for those days. Strong-willed, she would speak her mind in several languages, and adorned herself with the latest makeups and perfumes. Sigismund fell for her hard and fast, and knew he had to have her. Rumors soon spread of their secret rendezvous, and some historians take jabs at the young widower for spending 223 days in the year of 1546, quote-unquote, hunting. It was even rumored he ordered construction of a secret tunnel from his royal palace to Barbara's family estate nearby so that he could enjoy her company while maintaining a veneer of respectability. While the young couple played, the old planned Sigismund's next wedding. The daughter of the French king, Margaret, and the future Queen of England, Mary, were offered as candidates, but Sigismund would have only Barbara 
and scorned all other marriage plans. A myriad of legalities stood in their way, Barbara being twice widowed for one, and the fact that she was not of royal blood, and she was at best the king's subject, which was not proper. They married in secret anyway, the whole world be damned if they stopped them. The marriage took place sometime in July or August, after it was found that Barbara was with child. Soon after, Sigismund headed off to Krakow to tell his father the news. Barbara went back to her family estates to rest and prepare for the new child and life as queen. Unfortunately for the young couple, because of the long and difficult journey, Barbara miscarried. It was only the beginning of their many sorrows. Back in Krakow, Sigismund announced his marriage to his family and the Senate, who roundly condemned the actions of the young king and demanded an annulment, his mother being the most outspoken of these critics. She complained that the marriage had driven her husband's health into decline, and not surprisingly, only a few months later, Sigismund's father, Sigismund the Old, passed away. Polish nobles, meanwhile, began a whisper campaign against Barbara, saying she had bewitched the young king with sorcery. Derogatory pamphlets of the time accused her of poison and promiscuity as her means of penetrating the royal bedchamber. After the funeral of the dear old king, a session of parliament was called, which quickly descended into madness with shouts and cries from all sides. One segment threatened to revolt if the king did not listen to their pleas and get rid of the hated Barbara. Sigismund stood with his wife and openly speculated if it might not be better for him to abdicate the throne. The session ended with a stalemate, the nobles not wishing to invite civil war, which would surely come in the power of vacuum. Two years of backbiting bribery, threats, and back alley dealing, even selling out his own sister, and making a supplication to the Pope for support. Finally, Sigismund had secured not a single opposition to his marriage to Barbara, save one, his dear old mother, the Dowager Queen, who was then sent into virtual exile in the northeast of the country. In December of 1550, Barbara was crowned Queen of Poland, and it was certainly the happiest time in their short lives. But fate, or some mistress of fate, had other plans. Barbara took ill not long after being crowned, and soon became bedridden with sudden afflictions of stomach pain and fever. Her appetite soon dropped off and an abscess formed on her stomach. A frantic Sigismund did everything he could to help her, sending for known healers to come from all over the kingdom. He would tend to her personally, despite her condition causing her great pain and likely smelling foul from the constant diarrhea and nausea that plagued her. When talking with his engineers about a way to transport her south to a more moderate climate, 
they noted that the size of the carriage needed to transport her safely would be too large to fit through the city gate. Sigismund ordered the gate to be demolished immediately. It was of no use, though. She died not five months after her unknown ailment, and many pointed again a finger at the Queen Mother. The loss was a permanent blow to the young king. History tells how he followed the procession of her coffin on foot. Ever after, he avoided parties, liked to dress in black to the end of his days, and seemed somber. He went on to marry again, as was expected of him. This time, it was purely political. His first wife's sister, Catherine of Austria. No hairs were produced. Largely, it was whispered, due to neglect in the royal bedroom. Catherine was sent off to her homeland and died in disgrace. Sigismund, on the other hand, sought a way to see Barbara again. And perhaps he took hope from the strangest of places. First Samuel 28, 7 through 25. Then said Saul unto his servants, Seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, Behold, there is a woman that hath a familiar spirit in Endor. And Saul disguised himself and put on other remnant. And he went, and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night. And he said, I pray thee, divine unto me by the familiar spirit, and bring me him up, whom I shall name unto thee. And the woman said unto him, Behold, thou knowest what Saul hath done, how he hath cut off those who have familiar spirits, and the wizards out of the land. Wherefore, then layest thou a snare for my life, to cause me to die? And Saul swore to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord liveth, there shall no punishment happen to thee for this thing. Then said the woman, Whom shall I bring unto thee? And he said, Bring me Samuel. And when the woman saw Samuel, she cried with a loud voice, and the woman spake to Saul, saying, why hast thou deceived me? For thou art Saul. And the king said unto her, Be not afraid, for what thou sawest. And the woman said unto Saul, I saw the gods ascending out of the earth. And he said unto her, What form is he of? And she said, An old man cometh up, and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel, and he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed himself. And Samuel said to Saul, Why hast thou disquieted me to bring me up? And Saul answered, I am sore distressed, for the Philistines make war against me, and God has departed from me, and answereth me no more, neither by the prophets, nor by dreams. Therefore I called thee, that thou mayest make known unto me what I shall do. Then said Samuel, Wherefore then thou hast asked me, seeing the Lord is departed from thee, and is become thine enemy, and the Lord hath done to him, as he spoke by me, for the Lord hath rent the kingdom out of thine hand, 
and given it to thy neighbor, even to David, because thou obeyest not the voice of the Lord, nor executest his fierce wrath upon Alamech. Therefore hath the Lord done this thing unto thee this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with thee into the hands of the Philistines, and tomorrow shalt thou and thy sons be with me. The Lord shall also deliver the hosts of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Then Saul fell straightway all along the earth, and was sore afraid because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had not eaten all day nor all night. Sigismund certainly knew, as Saul did, that the dead could be raised from the grave by some devilry. It is here that legend and history blend, and the sorcerer Pan Trudowski was likely summoned to bring back his lost love forever to his side, though a scything mirror was their only means of communication to see and to hear, but not to touch his dearly departed, must have been an agonizing ordeal. It is perhaps the only way he could have found solace, that is, in the occult. Perhaps it was the only way he could have softened the pain of the world. As stated, he went on to do great things for his country, but his fascination with the occult soon deepened and led him to keep more and more unsavory sorcerers around him. Late in life, on a trip to his favorite retreat, to an imperial estate in which he kept a room entirely draped in black for his lost Barbara, his health began to fail. The finger of the plague stretched out its bony finger to meet him as he left the city of Warsaw and dogged the progress of his retirement. By the time he arrived, he was nearly dead, and as he expired, the wizards around him began to strip him of all possessions and left him to pass this thin mortal coil of the world utterly alone. It is not known if the wily Trudowski was with him when he died. Legend states that he finally had to pay his dues for selling his soul when the deal had been struck, Trudowski and the devil had agreed that the devil would only get his soul when Trudowski had set foot in Rome, a city he never planned on visiting. The poor man thought he had eternally outwitted the father of lies. That is, until one dreary night, he spied a tavern in the darkness. Having traveled all day and yet another full day of travel ahead of him, Trudowski decided it was best to rest up a bit before moving on. As soon as he set foot in the tavern, however, he felt his demonic gift leave him, and a strange tugging from behind, dragging him slowly out the door. And as he sailed away into the dark abyss, carried off by that ancient serpent, he noticed the sign above the tavern entrance, which read, Rome. In 1897, Samuel L. McGregor Mathers, founder of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, translated a fascinating book with the title, The Book of the Sacred Magic of Abramelin the Mage, 
in it, Abraham of Worms notes just such an apparition in which one can call forth the shade of the dead. In order to do this, however, Abraham says the practitioner must summon, subdue, and bring under his control the four princes of hell. For those not magically inclined, the four princes refer to Lucifer, Leviathan, Satan, and Belial. It could be said that the spell was not for the faint of heart. Abraham mentions that he was only able to complete the feat twice in life, once for an unknown Saxon duke, and another time was for an emperor Sigismund to bring back a woman he loved dearly. Devilry is written and produced by me, Matthew William Motzinger. Music by Kevin McLeod. If you enjoy listening to Devilry and would like to help support us, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. A full transcript of this episode, as well as a complete bibliography, is available at devilrypodcast.com. Go there if you'd like to learn more about the strange and terrible things of the world. And as always... Stay weird, my devils.